Science and technology time, 8.46. Mark Zastro, science journalist, highly respected within the Korean and global communities. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Always a pleasure to have you here. So um, we start with China. The government's making efforts to crack down on fraud in clinical trials. Under policy shift, medical researchers who fake data in hopes of getting their drugs approved may face jail time or even execution. That would be a deterrent, I presume. Uh, well, that is indeed the hope by Chinese authorities. Of, of course, the integrity of academic and scientific research is a big concern all around the globe, including here in Korea. Uh, we'll just say that up front. But it is fair to say that there is a lot of concern over scientific misconduct in China. Of course, sometimes, you know, this doesn't hurt anybody except uh, their conscience. But, you know, when it comes to falsifying data in a clinical drug trial, you know, people can die as a consequence. They may die because an unsafe drug is approved. They may die because a drug is approved based on false data, but it doesn't actually do what the drug maker says it does. So because of that, China is now toughening its penalties for falsifying data that is submitted to the China Food and Drug Administration. And this was reported in Nature by David Cernofsky. He writes that under the new policy, submitting fake data will be treated the same as actually selling a fake drug. And under Chinese law, uh, selling a counterfeit drug will get you can get you up to 10 years in prison or even, indeed, the death penalty. And this new policy is expected to go into effect in a few months after it gets court approval. Well, let's hope that it does bear the positive fruit of preventing these kinds of schemes from occurring in the first place. Do we have any sense of just how widespread this misconduct is in China? Well, it's it's hard to measure, but to give a hint of the scale of the problem, uh, back in 2015, the Chinese FDA put out a notice basically saying, okay, we're going to start cracking down on falsified drug applications now. And if we find any fraud, data falsification, any you know false claims, we're not going to let you submit any drugs ever again. Uh, you'll just be banned. And after they put out that warning, 80% of the pending applications were voluntarily withdrawn by drug companies and researchers. Of course, that doesn't amount to an admission of misconduct in every one of those cases. You know, maybe they just wanted to double check their numbers, maybe they wanted to add more data, but even after that, of the 20% that were left over that uh, were still pending, Chinese authorities wound up rejecting one quarter of them because they did find problems with them. Uh, so that that gives you some kind of sense of, of the scale of the problem. Well, it's one thing to handle things in that way, but could we actually see executions under this policy? Well, that is a good question, but if it happened, it actually wouldn't be entirely without precedent. Because back in 2007, the head of the Chinese FDA was actually executed for taking bribes related to drug trials. So uh, if, if there ever were a case you know, where a company or a scientist uh, was falsifying data and someone died because of it, as happened uh, in that case, uh, you know, capital punishment is not out of the question. Uh, you know, of course, the true mark of whether this policy succeeds, as you say, is not how many people do they execute, but how many false applications does it deter. And and the hope is that this will not only make China's pharmaceutical industry safer, but it will also clear out the regulatory pipeline of fake drug applications, so that the real effective drugs can be approved more quickly. Yeah, otherwise, frankly, if you see made in China on your drug packet, you're not going to have the confidence, are you, in it. Let's um, talk about drugs that have made a huge difference, though. One of the greatest examples, the success of treating 
HIV. Maybe not uh, fully curing at this point, but taking HIV levels to a point where they're virtually undetectable in those affected. And so that when a younger person is diagnosed now, their life expectancy is pretty much that of the general population as long as they have that treatment. That's right. Um, and this is a new study that just was released uh, last week in The Lancet. It's one of the biggest biggest studies yet of life expectancy among people who are living with HIV and are on the regimen of drugs known as antiretroviral therapy, or ART, which stops the virus from replicating. And so this study was a collection of, of other studies uh, comprising 88,000 individuals in North America and in Europe. Uh, and it found that if a 20-year-old HIV positive adult is on the drug early, their life expectancy is very close to the general population, about 78 years. And another thing that they found in this study is that these drugs have continued to improve even in the past few years. They've become more efficient. They have fewer side effects. Uh, and so even though they've been around in some form for, for many decades, the life expectancy continues to increase for those who are starting those drugs today. No doubt, then, that this is an incredibly positive step when when we thought of HIV as being one of the most horrific death sentences a person could receive, mm -hmm. uh, even as recently as a few years ago. Perhaps some people still feel that way now, but the question still remains about accessibility. That's right. In fact, the, the Lancet actually published a commentary right alongside this study, and its title was, Who Gets Left Behind? You know, who does not have access to these drugs? Uh, and who is perhaps not making any gains in life expectancy even with them? So, for, first of all, this study, this current study, did not look at other factors like race or economic status. There was, in fact, a study done in the U.S. in 2013 that did look at race. And what they found, uh, not too surprisingly, but unfortunately, is that life expectancy for non-white individuals is significantly less than white individuals uh, by as much as eight and a half years. Now, another group, according to this latest study, that remains at high risk are those who inject drugs. Uh, even in this study, they had virtually no increase in life expectancy, even on ART. And then, you know, looking outside of developed nations, you know, as you say, anywhere where it's difficult to access or to afford these drugs, those uh, individuals are highly vulnerable still. Uh, another big problem is that, you know, in some of these regions, there is a legacy of past programs of experimental drug treatments that were not as effective. And so there are a lot of people who, who don't trust ART and they're reluctant to start it. It's, it's so important to smash the stigma associated with this because if someone is living in a culture, even within the United States, but their yeah. own mm -hmm. personal family culture that stops them from admitting to the problems that perhaps contributed to their being positive, whether that might be drug or whether that might be um, uh, their personal lifestyle, i.e., you know, their love life outside of marriage, for example, that that is perceived in different ways by different people, right? And it can stop people getting the treatment or even being diagnosed. That's right. People need to know and uh, that that life is life. Normal life is possible, and so many people who are on these drugs are able to live essentially normal lives because of it. Um, now let's uh, also talk about an incredible human feat, uh, the idea that we might be able to break the two-hour mark. Earlier this month, an event organized by Nike 
three of the world's best runners try to break one of the great milestones, running a marathon, 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers in less than two hours. Kenya's Eliud Kipchoge came so close. Two yeah. hours and 24 seconds with the help of pacemakers, but still, he That's used right. his own legs, didn't he, Mark? That's right. Uh, but he did, as you say, he had a lot of assistance in the form of two or three years of scientific work by Nike to try to develop optimal conditions for this record attempt. Um, so does it so, mean even more so that breaking two hours is not possible, or does it just mean that we've got to keep trying a little harder? Well, it, it shows, I think, that two hours is very close to being possible with the, with the right conditions, right? It's, it's, it's right on the limit of what the human body can do, which is really, I think, what this effort was about. It may not necessarily be a world record. Uh, uh, it may not be eligible for, the world, for a world record, but it shows what the human body can do uh, with, as I say, a little bit of help. Nike really did everything they could think of to create the optimal conditions. They set up a closed course on part of the historic Monza racetrack in Italy, which is used for you know, Formula One races. And so this you know, made sure that there were no elevation changes or any sharp corners. Even you know, like a 90-degree angle can cause a runner to lose a second or two yes. in a city marathon, right? And um, of course, Nike being Nike, they also came up with some fancy shoes, which they claimed reduced the amount of effort needed to run by about 4%. Uh, that's a pretty... A, a pretty optimistic claim. I think most scientists who, you know, study the biomechanics of running would say the the maximum gain you could get is about 2% at well, most. But, from but at this point, when you're talking shoe. about seconds, then every percentage counts, doesn't it? It's, it's tr absolutely true. But I think, you know, what most observers think made the biggest difference was that Nike had squads of pace runners to run around the runners in formation to block the wind, you know, like uh, like in, in the Tour de France or in, in car racing. And on top of that, there was also a car that was driving in front of the whole group. And I don't know if you saw any of the pictures, but it had a, a giant clock right. on top of it, which I think was probably also acting as a bit of a a windscreen as well. Uh, it, it may be a, I don't think Nike actually officially acknowledged that, but I, I think that was clearly helping. <laughs> so the, the website, The Science of Sport, actually did the aerodynamic calculations of the effect of the draft. And they estimated that from the car and the pace runners, it's probably good for about 90 seconds over the course of the marathon. So that's well, over half of the improvement that we, we did see. Well, time is a, a cruel master and we've reached the end of our slot allocated for today. Uh, and less than 26 seconds to go too. But what a barrier to go even closer towards. Mark Zastro with our science and technology. That's this morning. Stay with us for your news and then Kurdation.